and quiet hallway of the Fay Lower School, One School, One Book 2.0 is proud to present Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls, read and produced by Laney Schuster. Chapter 2. I suppose there's a time in practically every young boy's life when he's affected by that wonderful disease of puppy love. I don't mean the kind a boy has for a pretty little girl that lives down the road. I mean the real kind. The kind that has four small feet and a wiggly tail and sharp little teeth that can gnaw on a boy's finger. The kind a boy can romp and play with, even eat and sleep with. I was ten years old when I first became infected with this terrible disease. I'm sure no boy in the world had it worse than I did. It's not easy for a young boy to want a dog and not be able to have one. It starts gnawing on his heart and gets all mixed up in his dreams. It gets worse and worse until finally it becomes almost unbearable. If my dog wanting had been that of an ordinary boy, I'm sure my mother and father would have gotten me a puppy. But my wants were different. I didn't want just one dog. I wanted two. And not just any kind of dog. They had to be a special kind and a special breed. I had to have some dogs. I went to my father and had a talk with him. He scratched his head and thought it over. Well, Billy, he said, I heard that old man Hatfield's collie's going to have pups. I'm sure I can get one of them for you. He may have well have poured cold water on me. Papa, I said, I don't want an old collie dog. I want hounds, coon hounds, and I want two of them. I could tell by the look on his face that he wanted to help me, but couldn't. He said, Billy, those kind of dogs cost money, and that's something we don't have right now. Maybe someday, when we can afford it, you can have them, but not right now. I didn't give up. After my talk with Papa, I went to Mama. I fared no better there. Right off, she said, I was too young to be hunting with hounds. Besides, a hunter needed a gun, and that was one thing I couldn't have, until I was at least 21 anyway. I couldn't understand it. There I was sitting right in the middle of the finest hunting country in the world, and I didn't even have a dog. Our home was in a beautiful valley far back in the rugged Ozarks. The country was new and sparsely settled. The land we lived on was Cherokee land, allotted to my mother because of the Cherokee blood that flowed in her veins. It lay in a strip from the foothills of the mountains to the banks of the Illinois River in northeastern Oklahoma. The land was rich, black, and fertile. Papa said it would grow hair on a cross-cut saw. He was the first man to stick the cold steel point of a turning plow into the virgin soil. Mama had picked the spot for our log house. It nestled at the edge of the foothills in the mouth of the small canyon, and it was surrounded by a grove of huge red oaks. Behind our house, one could see miles and miles of the mighty Ozarks. In the spring, the aromatic scent of wildflowers, redbuds, pawpaws, and dogwoods drifting on the wind currents, spread over the valley and around our home. Behind our fields, twisting and winding, ran the clear blue waters of the Illinois River. The banks were cool and shady. 
The rich bottomland near the river was studded with tall sycamores, birches, and box elders. To a ten-year-old country boy, it was the most beautiful place in the whole wide world, and I took advantage of it all. I roamed the hills and the river bottoms. I knew every game trail in the thick cane brakes and every animal track that was pressed into the mud along the riverbanks. The ones that fascinated, fascinated me the most were the baby-like tracks of a river coon. I'd lie for hours examining them. Before leaving, I'd take a switch and sweep them all away. These I called my trail looks. The next day, I'd hurry back, and sure enough, nine times out of ten, there in the clean-swept ground, I would again find the tracks of a ring-tailed coon. I knew he had passed over the trail during the night. I could close my eyes and almost see him, humping up and waddling along, fishing along the banks with his delicate little paws for crawfish, frogs, and minnows. I was a hunter from the time I could walk. I caught lizards on the rail fence, rats in the corn crib, and frogs in the little creek that ran through the fields. I was a young Daniel Boone. As the days passed, the dog-wanting disease grew worse. I began to see dogs in my sleep. I went back to my father and mother. It was the same old story. Good hounds cost money, and they just didn't have it. My dog-wanting became so bad I began to lose weight and my food didn't taste good anymore. Mama noticed this, and she had a talk with Papa. You are going to have to do something, she said. I never saw a boy grieve like that. It's not right, not right at all. I know, said Papa, and I feel just as badly as you do, but what can I do? You know we don't have that kind of money. I don't care, said Mama. You've got to do something. I can't stand to see him cry like that. Besides, he's getting to be a problem. I can't get my work done. He follows me around all day long, begging for hounds. I offered to get him a dog, said Papa, but he doesn't want just any kind of dog. He wants hounds, and they cost money. Do you know what the Parker boys paid for those two hounds they bought? Seventy-five dollars. If I had that much money, I'd buy another mule. Sure do need one. I had overheard this conversation from another room. At first, it made me feel pretty good. At least I was getting to be a problem. Then I didn't feel so good. I knew my mother and father were poor and didn't have any money. I began to feel sorry for them and myself. After thinking it over, I figured out a way to help. Even though it was a great sacrifice, I told Papa I decided I didn't want two hounds. One would be enough. I saw the hurt in his eyes. It made me feel like someone was squeezing water out of my heart. Papa set me on his lap, and we had a good talk. He told me how hard times were, and it looked like a man couldn't get a fair price for anything he raised. Some of the farmers had quit farming and were cutting railroad ties so they could feed their families. If things didn't get better, that's what he'd have to do. He said he'd give anything if he could get some good hounds for me, but there didn't seem to be any way he could right then. I went off to bed with my heart all torn up in little pieces and cried myself to sleep. The next day, Papa had to go to the store. Late that evening, I saw him coming back. As fast as I could, I ran to meet him 
expecting a sack of candy. Instead, he handed me three small steel traps. If Santa Claus himself had come down out of the mountains, reindeer and all, I would not have been more pleased. I jumped up and down and cried a whole bucket full of tears. I hugged him and told him what a wonderful papa he was. He showed me how to set them by mashing the spring down with my foot and how to work the trigger. I took them to bed with me that night. The next morning, I started trapping around the barn. The first thing I caught was Sammy, our house cat. If this didn't cause a commotion, I didn't intend to catch him. I was trying to catch a rat, but somehow he came nosing around and got in my trap. My sisters started bawling and yelling for Mama. She came running, wanting to know what in the world was going on. None of us had to tell her. Sammy told her with his spitting and squalling. He was mad. He couldn't understand what that thing was that was biting his foot, and he was making an awful fuss about it. His tail was as big as a wet corn cob, and every hair on his small head was sticking straight up. He spit and yelled and dared anyone to get close to him. Papa looked over at Sammy. 
He was lying all sprawled out in the sunshine, with all four paws bandaged and sticking straight up. His long tail was swishing this way and that. You see, Papa, I said, he's watching me right now, just waiting for me to set my trap. Papa walked off toward the barn. I heard him laughing fit to kill. It finally got too rough for Sammy. He left home. Oh, he came in once in a while, all long and lean-looking, but he never was the same friendly cat anymore. He was nervous and wouldn't let anyone pet him. He would gobble down his food and then scoot for the timbers. Once I decided to make friends with him because I felt bad about catching him in my traps. I reached out my hand to rub his back. He swelled up like a sitting hen. His eyeballs got all green, and he growled way down deep. He spat at me and drew back his paw like he was going to knock my head off. I decided I'd better leave him alone. In no time at all, I cleaned out all the rats. Then something bad happened. I caught one of Mama's prize hens. I got one of those young man peach tree switchings over that. Papa told me to go down in the cane breaks back of our fields and trap. This opened up all kinds of new wonders. I caught possums, skunks, rabbits, and squirrels. Papa showed me how to skin my game. In neat little rows, I tacked the hides on the smokehouse wall. I'd stand for hours and admire my magnificent trophies. There was only one thing wrong. I didn't have a big coon skin to add to my collection. I couldn't trap old Mr. Ringtail. He was too smart for me. He'd steal the bait from the traps, spring the triggers, and sometimes even turn them over. Once I found a small stick standing upright in one of my traps, I showed it to Papa. He laughed and said the stick must have fallen from a tree. It made no difference what Papa said. I was firmly convinced that a smart old coon had deliberately poked that stick in my trap. The traps held my, helped my dog wanting considerably, but like a new toy, the newness wore off, and I was right back where I started from. Only this time it was worse, much worse. I had been exposed to the feel of wildlife. I started pestering Mama again. She said, oh no, not that again. I thought you'd be satisfied with the traps. No, Billy, I don't want to hear any more about hounds. I knew Mama meant what she said. This broke my heart. I decided I'd leave home. I sneaked out a quart jar of peaches, some cold cornbread, and a few onions, and started up the hollow back of our house. I had it all figured out. I'd go away off to some big town, get a hundred dogs, and bring them all back with me. I made it all right until I heard a timberwolf howl. This stopped my home. That fall, something happened that was almost more than I could stand. I was lying in bed one night trying to figure out a way I could get some dogs when I heard the deep baying of a coon hound. I got up and opened my window. The deep voice rang loud and clear in the frosty night. Now and then I could hear the hunter whooping to him. The hound hunted all night. He quit when the roosters started crowing at daybreak. The hunter and the hound weren't the only ones awake that night. I stayed up until the last tone 
tones of the hound's voice died away in the daylight hours. That morning, I was determined to have some hounds. I went again to Mama. This time, I tried bribery. I told her if she'd get me a hunting dog, I'd save the money I earned from my furs and buy her a new dress and a box full of pretty hats. That time, I saw tears in her eyes. It made me feel all empty inside, and I cried a little, too. By the time she was through kissing me and talking to me, I was sure I didn't need any dogs at all. I couldn't stand to see Mama cry. The next day, I heard the hound again. I tried to cover my head with a pillow to shut out the sound. It was no His voice seemed to bore its way through the pillow and ring in my ears. I had to get up and again go to the window. I'm sure if that coon hunter had known that he was slowly killing a ten-year-old boy, he would have put a muzzle on his hound. Sleep was out of the question. Even on nights when I couldn't hear the hound, I couldn't sleep. I was afraid if I did, he'd come and I would miss hearing him. By the time hunting season was over, I was a nervous wreck. My eyes were red and bloodshot. I'd lost weight and was as thin as a beanpole. Mama checked me over. She looked at my tongue and turned back one of my eyelids. If I didn't know better, she said, I'd swear you weren't sleeping well. Are you? Why, Mama, I said, I go to bed, don't I? What does a boy go to bed for if it isn't to sleep? By the little wrinkles that bunched up on her forehead, I could tell that Mama wasn't satisfied. Papa came in during one of his inspections. Mama told him she was worried about my health. Ah, he said, there's nothing wrong with him. It's just because he's been cooped up all winter. A boy needs sunshine and exercise. He he's almost 11 now, and I'm going to let him help me in the fields this summer. That will put the muscles back on him. I thought this was wonderful. I'd finally grown up to be a man. I was going to help Papa with the farm. Stay tuned for Chapter 3.